Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. Live from our WSBT Radio studios in downtown South Bend. Let's go! Come on! Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat. Wow, don't blink. A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish has upset Florida State. Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! Enrique Ogunbowale wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake Evans scores! Notre Dame. 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game. The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT, WSBTradio.com, the free WSBT radio app. Big time budgets. Now here's your host, seven-time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett. Well, good to be with you on this Halloween evening, 5.08 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Also streaming live at WSBTradio.com through our WSBT radio app and the video feed right now underway on the Twitch app. Hope you're having a terrific Tuesday. If you are not in the South Bend area, if you're listening to us on a stream, just to let you know, we had a little snowfall today here in South Bend. I don't think it's stuck anywhere, but we had a pretty good snowfall for a bit of the afternoon. So the Irish football team probably not unhappy about a trip to South Carolina coming up on Saturday, where it's probably going to be in the 60s for a noon kickoff as the 7-2 Fighting Irish of Notre Dame will take on the 4-4 Clemson Tigers, a game that you can hear right here on WSBT Radio. Our pregame coverage all morning long. It starts at 6 a.m., Kickoff at noon after the game, the official Notre Dame football postgame show. And don't forget, Eric Hansen, Tyler Hork, and I will be bringing you Game Day Sports Beat brought to you by Bud Light from 9 until 11 a.m. We've got plenty of Notre Dame football talk to get to, including our hat trick of opening topics where we focus on game management, Mike Mickens, and college football playoff rankings later on in the program who is Clemson right now Clemson the team that's won a couple of national championships always in the playoff it seems 
They're four and four right now, and they look like a sinking ship. And maybe it all finally came to head last night on Dabo Sweeney's radio show where phones phone calls are taken and fans can express their opinions. Dabo had a classic rant last night against Tyler from, I think, Spartansburg. And we're going to play a portion of that coming up. He got fired up because he got attacked because he was making $11 million and the team is 4-4. Four and four. And Dabo, I think, finally had enough. He snapped and he doubled down on his comments during his press conference earlier today. We've got our Twitter question of the day straight ahead, 6 o'clock hour. You'll hear from Irish running back Audric Estime and one of the stars of Saturday's win over Pittsburgh, Chris Tyree with the punt return for a touchdown and also 62 receiving yards. We've got an update on Notre Dame football recruiting with Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. Mike traveled to watch C.J. Carr play some football Friday night, and he will offer his perspective on that coming up in our recruiting segment right around, oh, I'd say 6.20 here on WSBT Radio. And we'll wrap up the program with our Sizzler segment that's been a little cold the last couple of days. We'll try to get hot tonight with four picks. One note I want to get to before we get to Notre Dame football. Of course, we're in Bears territory and the Bears right now trying to figure things out, build toward the future. Well, last year at the trade deadline, they gave up a second-round pick for Chase Claypool. That didn't work out. Claypool just did not get the job done here in Chicago and was shipped to Miami. That pick ended up being pick number 32 overall in the draft, so that hurt, and that was waste of some really good draft capital. Well, the Bears have traded another second-round pick today at the trade deadline. The Bears are acquiring a second round, I should say they are trading a second round pick to the Washington Commanders and the Bears are getting pass rusher and he is a really good one in Montez Sweat. Now the one thing about Sweat is he's a free agent at the end of the year. Now you can tag him and you can keep him around. I'm sure the goal is to sign him long term. But this is a guy that the Bears could have signed with just money during the offseason because he will be a free agent. But instead, they traded a second-round pick, which I'm sure they plan on signing him long-term. Otherwise, why in the world would you do this? Now, Sweat is one of the top pass rushers in the National Football League. He is 27 years old, six and a half sacks so far this year. And his running mate getting after the quarterback in D.C., Chase Young, he was traded to San Francisco today. What's interesting, the Bears gave up a second-round pick for Sweat. And Chase Young, the former number one pick out of Ohio State, he went to San Francisco for a third-round pick. So at the end of the day, we'll see where exactly these draft picks end up. But it looks like the Bears gave up a pick probably 50 spots in front of what San Francisco gave up to get Chase Young. That has to sting a little bit if you're the Bears, knowing what the 49ers gave up for Young and what you gave up for Sweat. Again, you would assume the Bears are thinking long-term, 
signing him to a long-term deal. Otherwise, it really doesn't make a whole lot of sense making this move. So let's just all assume the obvious, that they will try to get him locked up. I have read today from some draft experts that the edge rusher category in the 2024 NFL draft is not going to be strong. So this could be the Bears rather than drafting a pass rusher in the second round. They're taking up a they're picking up a proven guy in Montez Sweat. Again, we'll just wait for them to sign him long term and then this will make 100% sense. And the Bears are down in New Orleans to take on the Saints on Sunday here the game on Quality Rock 94 94.3 FM. Badgett, once again, your starting quarterback field still out with the dislocated right thumb. All right, to our hat trick of opening topics here on Budweiser's weekday sports beat. We begin with Notre Dame football. A lot of things can get lost in the shuffle when you win a football game 58-7 like the Irish did over the Pittsburgh Panthers at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday. You know, it was only, let me do air quotes, only 17-0 at halftime, and then the Irish blew them out of the waters in the second half. But there were missed opportunities in the first half. You felt like Notre Dame could have blowed Pittsburgh out. It was one of those situations where Notre Dame said, well, here's the ball, we'll keep you in the game. And Pittsburgh said, nah, we don't want it, we'll give it right back. Well, Notre Dame took that football and dominated the second half And it became a laugher early in the third quarter, and the Irish win by 51. The only reason this is going to be brought up is just future considerations and a concerning trend. We've left another game, again, a blowout, where there was reason to question or ask about a game management decision by head coach Marcus Freeman. You think back, the Louisville game at the end of the first half, he had third and long, he calls timeout. Rather than forcing Louisville to call timeout, I mean, you're probably unlikely to get in scoring range in your territory, third and 15. Marcus called timeout, and it almost came back to bite him as Louisville got to keep their timeouts. They got the ball back. And fortunately, they missed a field goal. Still a questionable decision. But at the end of the day, they did not score. Later on in that Louisville game, you had fourth down and 15 from your own 35 with less than 10 to go in a two-score game, and the Irish went for it rather than punting the football. Louisville kicked a field goal after Notre Dame couldn't convert the fourth down. Notre Dame defense got Louisville three and out. If that happened after you punted, you probably did not lose much time off the clock and you got the ball in the same spot. So again, another decision where it kind of made you turn your head a little like, hmm, that's kind of interesting. Well, in the Pittsburgh game, late in the first half, Notre Dame was trying to score. And they're up 14-0 with about a minute to go in the first half. Now, 
The Fighting Irish got great field position because Xavier Watts came up with an interception and after a penalty, Notre Dame had the football first and 10 at the Pittsburgh 30 with 1.31 to go in the first half. On first down and 10, shotgun snap to Sam Hartman, passed to his left and found tight end Mitchell Evans, and he rumbled 21 yards to the Pittsburgh nine-yard line, first down, Notre Dame. You had first and goal at the Pittsburgh nine, Shotgun snap, Hartman, pass complete again to his left to Chris Tyree for six yards to the Pittsburgh three. So you're in great shape. Second and goal at the Pittsburgh three. Two timeouts in your back pocket. Well, we're down to one because Marcus Freeman decided to call timeout with 59 seconds to go in the first half. I immediately put on Twitter, timeout question mark, because you've got plenty of time. You've got second down and goal. You've got two timeouts, which can stretch the half by an extra minute by using those timeouts later on when you need them. I always like to sit in the coach's chair for a second, sit in their shoes, and try to decide why would you call timeout there. What was the strategy what was the thinking because you've got second and goal at the Pittsburgh three and plenty of time to go a minute to go on the clock and honestly I couldn't come up with an answer there wasn't an issue with play calling from what I can gather from watching the situation at the stadium and then watching the game back so they use the timeout you're down to one So then after the timeout, second and goal from the Pittsburgh three, you run the football with Audric Estime, and you lose two yards back to the five. Now that might have been a spot where you think about using a timeout had you kept both. Because when you got a pile on a running play, it takes a while to get everybody off of everybody get the ball spotted. That, if you want to use a timeout, would have been a spot where you'd have been like, okay, that makes sense. But Notre Dame used the timeout, after a completed pass with a minute to go. So you only had one timeout, so you really have to save it for a possible field goal try or if something happens on the drive where you got to use a timeout. So Estime loses two, and on that play, Marcus Freeman decided to let the clock run down and then take a timeout, trying to drain time off the clock, I'm assuming, to not allow Pittsburgh to get the ball back. So now you're down to 12 seconds. Your margin for error has gotten smaller. So now it's third and goal from the Pittsburgh five. And after the timeout, Hartman hit Holden stays for a touchdown, but it was the right call. There was pass interference on Mitchell Evans setting a pick that was supposed to be a rub. So that cost Notre Dame 15 yards. So now it's third and goal from the Pittsburgh 20. Hartman throws for Greathouse. Pass interference against Pittsburgh. 15 yards. And now you're right back to the five-yard line. But the problem is you've only got seconds left on the clock. And you got to attempt a field goal when you could have had first and goal from the five, which you had 
but you had to kick the field goal because there were no timeouts to use and you'd run out of time. It seems like nothing in this game, but big picture, playoff game, New Year's Six Bowl game this year. These are the type of moments where you need perfection from your coaching staff. And the 59-second-to-go timeout was head-scratching. And then you melt the clock and take another timeout. So it was a head-scratching moment. And I'll say this. In December, it'll be 25 years for me covering Notre Dame football at this station. And we all want Notre Dame to win. It's good for everybody. It's good for you as a fan. It's good for us as a business model. (laughs) Let's be honest. Notre Dame winning is a good thing, a really good thing. And I've never been invested in a coach where I've thought, I hope he wins. I was here for the end of Bob Davey. Nah, was not invested in him. Didn't get to know George O'Leary. Tyrone Willingham, never a believer. Charlie Weiss, fingers crossed, didn't work out. Brian Kelly, right guy at the right time to turn the program around. But I was never like, gosh, I hope they win because it's Brian Kelly. It's different with Marcus. This is the first time where I'm invested where I want this guy to be successful. I want this guy to be the guy because he gets it. He gets everything about Notre Dame. You as a fan, you're proud that this is your head coach by the way he handles himself fantastic driving the recruiting bus great defensive mind just all around a guy you're proud of as your head coach so i am for the first time personally invested wanting this to be the guy that can take this program to the top of the college football mountain i want him to be the head coach for a long time but the game management needs to be tied up it's got to be cleaned up. I know as a Denver Bronco fan, Jerry Rossberg was brought in by Nathaniel Hackett last year when Hackett absolutely was a train wreck making game decisions. He just couldn't do it. So you had a guy upstairs telling Hackett what to do on fourth down, go for it, kick the field goal, punt. He made the decisions. And I'm not saying that's needed here but maybe there's an eye in the sky that can say, what about this coach when he starts to make a decision? Because you just don't want this to pop up in a big situation because you lost four points in that sequence. Could have been a touchdown if you had more time. Instead, you had to kick the field goal when it's first and goal from the five-yard line. So there have been some game management head scratchers and it's nice this one is buried in a 58 to 7 win Marcus Freeman after the game was asked about his clock management decision at the end of the first half I appreciate Tyler James from InsideIndieSports.com asking Marcus about his thought process using the timeout with 59 seconds left and then milking the clock and using another timeout With 12 seconds left, here was the exchange after the game on Saturday. 
And I know it ends up being meaningless and a blowout, but I'm curious what the thought process was before half, letting the clock run down before the third down play, and then um, you guys were out of town when you, time, by the time you got up. Yeah, we down. wanted to say, okay, hey, we're going to get this thing to third down, um, and we're going to obviously throw the ball. We don't want to give them any time, right? So what we try to do is make sure there was as, as little amount of time on the clock for that third. I knew I wasn't going to go for it on fourth, right? I wanted to take points going into the half. And so if we didn't get on third down, I knew I was going to kick it. So leave as little time as you can on the clock. Okay. If you're going to throw it, you want to have a timeout in your back pocket in case of a sack or a completed pass away from the boundary where you can't stop the clock. Plus, I think this factors into my thoughts as well. For those that were watching that game that root for the Irish, Marcus milked the clock so Pittsburgh wouldn't get the ball back. Was there anybody watching or listening to the game that felt like Pittsburgh was going to go 70 yards to get into field goal range if Notre Dame gave them the ball back? If you're playing Oklahoma... USC, totally different story, but Pittsburgh was not going to march down the field. Vieira was not capable of pulling that off. Plus, your defense is playing off the chart. Awesome. I'm not worried about the opposition in that spot. And if you were worried about that, if you were worried about giving the ball back to Pittsburgh, why would you call timeout with 59 seconds left when you had second and goal at the three? You saved Pittsburgh from using a timeout by calling a timeout. There could have been a spot in that sequence where Pittsburgh, knowing that Notre Dame may score, they might try to call timeouts in hope of having 30, 35, 40 seconds to try to move the ball down the field. Doubt it. But maybe. So if you're worried about Pittsburgh getting the ball back, why do you call timeout with 59 seconds left? Again, trying to put myself in the head coach's shoes, I just can't get to the bottom of that thinking. Nice problem. It happened in a 58-7 victory. And hopefully it's just a learning experience for the coaching staff. 528 at WSBT. Darren Pritchett with you. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on WSBT Radio. One thing I want to just mention, my colleague, Eric Hansen, who will be co-hosting the program tomorrow from InsideIndieSports.com. He actually asked a very interesting question during Monday's press conference. And it's centered around Mike Mickens, who does a great job in the secondary for this football team. And Eric, knowing that there could be a defensive coordinator vacancy at the end of the year. Now, we have no breaking news. Al Golden has not left the program. But the assumption is he may have a lot of options. With the way he has orchestrated this defense this season... College head coaching, NFL coaching possibilities could be there for Golden. Now, if he wants to be Notre Dame's defensive coordinator for a third year, he's going to be Notre Dame's defensive coordinator for a third year. And I think we all hope that's the case. But we also understand this is a guy that is definitely 
going to be in demand this year. So Eric, knowing that, just kind of threw a little bait in the water and asked about Mike Mickens, a rising star in the coaching industry already on this Notre Dame coaching staff. And Eric asked about Mickens, his importance to this defense, and who knows, could this be a candidate for that job if it would open sometime soon? Here's Marcus Freeman on Mickens. Hold on. I absolutely think Mike Mickens is, is ready to be a defense coordinator. Um, that's why we gave him the passing game coordinator title um, during the offseason. And uh, he, is, he is a tremendous football coach um, schematically and in the fundamentals of playing the cornerback position. You know, one of the greatest things he does is the way he evaluates. You know, I, I've said this story before, but at Cincinnati, I wasn't standing on the table for Sauce Gardner when we started recruiting him. And, and Mickens did. Mickens said, this is the guy um, that we need here. And we knew right away that um, when he got to campus, man, he was special. And the same thing goes for the, the guys in this room now. He's a great evaluator, um, and then he's a great developer um, of the cornerback position. But as far as the schematics, he, he has a great, a brilliant mind. And they're, they're all in that deepest room collaborative on, on the game plan. Um, but um, I, I, I firmly believe Mike Mickens is ready to be a deepest coordinator. All right, so there you go. Mike Mickens is ready to be a defensive coordinator. If Al Golden decides to take on another opportunity, defensive coordinator vacancy, last time Marcus Freeman went out and got an experienced defensive coordinator, and I would say he has been rewarded with that decision. After the first year of installing the defense and everybody learning it, you can tell there's a big difference when you're in the second year of a system. These guys are playing fast and efficient football. Last year, red zone defense and turnovers were a problem. Problems solved in 2023. So is Mike Mickens the best candidate to be defensive coordinator? I have no idea. None of us really have any idea. Marcus Freeman knows. Members of the coaching staff knows. So it's really hard to sit here and say, hey, Darren, what do you think about Mickens being the next defensive coordinator? It's hard to answer because there's just no tape we can go back to and say, wow, look, he did this, 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 this. This would be a rookie defensive coordinator. And I'll just throw the question back to you. Mike Mickens is a rising star in this coaching industry, a terrific recruiter, has great eye for talent. The play of the secondary, the corners speak for itself. So this is a guy that, again, would fall into that category of being in demand. But I have to ask you this. So many of you, right or wrong, complained when – a first-year head coach was hired, complained, were worried when a first-time offensive coordinator, I know at West Virginia, Jared had some involvement in some stuff, but it was kind of a weird situation. But this was his first true full-time opportunity to be the coordinator. So, again, are you okay with a defensive coordinator being a first-time at Notre Dame? If you are, then... Mike Mickens might be your guy. 
if you're one of those people after the Parker situation, you're like, you know what, I've learned my lesson, nope, then you have a right to think that way as well. But that's what you have to think through. Mickens is an exciting guy. He would be a first-timer. Are you okay with that? That's up for you to decide as a fan. All right, 534 at WSBT. College football playoff rankings released tonight. Notre Dame would appear to be a team that needs to finish in the top 10 of the final rankings to get a college football New Year's Six Bowl game invitation. Now, first off, they have to run the table. They have to win their last three games to have a chance to finish in the top 10. Where is Notre Dame going to be ranked tonight? I think they're going to be in the top 15. They won't be in the top 10. I believe they'll be somewhere between 12 and 15. I just don't know if the resume is strong enough to push them ahead of a few teams that are bunched together. I mean, Notre Dame has beaten USC. That's a good win. Duke and NC State on the road are solid wins. Duke is more solid than NC State. You've got the last second home loss to Ohio State, and you got thumped at Louisville, who should be a ranked top 25 team. So it's a good, solid resume. It'll be interesting to see what the committee thinks of USC, and that might tell you the whole story of how good that USC victory is correlates to where the Irish are ranked tonight. Now, a long way to go. If you're in the top 15, heck, if you're in the top 20, you can still get to the top 10. A lot of things are going to happen. Because you look at how things are playing out right now. Things always get wacky. Last year maybe was the exception, so a lot of losses are coming that maybe we don't expect. But Georgia, their only chance of losing is to Bama or LSU in the SEC title game. They're going to stay ahead of Notre Dame. Michigan, same thing. They're going to stay ahead of the Irish unless they lose a couple of times. And their only chance of losing, really, is home to Ohio State. You've got Ohio State. You've already lost to them. Probably the only team they could lose to is at Michigan. So they're probably going to stay ahead of Notre Dame for sure, even with the head-to-head. Florida State, they've got an interesting road. Home against Miami at Florida ACC title game, possibly against Louisville. They're undefeated, so likely they stay ahead of Notre Dame. Washington's a wild card as well. Listen to the games the Huskies have remaining. Now, they're undefeated right now at USC, home against Utah, at Oregon State, rivalry game at home against Washington State, and then possibly the Pac-12 title game. That could be a team that makes the playoffs. That could be a two-loss football team Oregon they've got USC Oregon State maybe Pac-12 title game coming up if they're a two-loss team Notre Dame Oregon I think Oregon might get a slight advantage over the Irish Texas they're a team that's got a loss they've got Kansas State Oklahoma probably in the Big 12 title game if they lose a second time how do you rank Notre Dame Texas Oregon Notre Dame might be behind both of those football teams. Alabama, they've got LSU at home, then probably Georgia in the SEC title game. Bama would have better wins than Notre Dame, so Bama probably stays ahead of the Irish. 
Penn State, they've got Michigan. I don't think they're as good as Notre Dame. So if they lose to Michigan, they're a two-loss team. I think they fall behind Notre Dame. Oklahoma, they've got a loss now at Kansas. They've got at Oklahoma State, Bedlam, at BYU, maybe tricky, and they could face Texas in a rematch in the Big 12 title game. A two-loss Oklahoma team, I believe they're behind Notre Dame. Mississippi's a one-loss team, but they got to play A&M at home at Georgia. I think once they lose again, they're behind Notre Dame. So there is a really, really good path for Notre Dame to finish in the top 10, which would seem to lock up a New Year's Six Bowl opportunity. How about the Peach Bowl against Alabama? Would you be okay with that? That's just one of the possibilities. Again, maybe LSU and the Pop-Tarts Bowl, but I think the Irish have a really, really good chance of getting to a New Year's Six Bowl game. 5.39 is our time. That's our hat trick of opening topics. When we come back, what in the world has happened to Clemson? That Clemson we've watched the last decade dominate college football. Has someone hid them? We'll talk about Saturday's opponent, the Clemson Tigers, next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beep from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. A Michiana tradition continues. Welcome to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. 544 at WSBT. Sports Beat being brought to you by our longtime title sponsor, Budweiser, the King of Beers. Locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this Bud's for you. Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger now with three locations. Serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Midland Engineering Company beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation granting a better future. By Legacy Heating and Air. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. South Bend Orthopedics. Trusted in the community for 75 years. Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash Solid Ground for details. And the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. We continue on with Notre Dame football conversation. The 7-2 Irish visiting 4-4 four four Clemson Saturday at noon here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. The Clemson Tigers are 4-4. Four and four. They are 2-4 and four in the ACC. They started the year with a stunning road loss to Duke, 28-7. After beating Charleston Southern and Florida Atlantic, they lost at home to Florida State, 31-24, had the lead in the second half. At Syracuse, they won 31-14. They beat Wake Forest at home 17-12. A frustrating overtime loss at Miami 28-20. Last Saturday, down 24-7 in the fourth quarter to NC State. And Clemson lost that game in Raleigh 24-17. So, yep, they are a 4-4 four and four football team. Irish head coach Marcus Freeman, what he thinks of when he 
Here's the word Clemson football. I view Clemson as one of the premier programs in college football. Um, and what Coach Sweeney has done with that program uh, over the course of his time there has been second to no other program in college football. It, it's extremely impressive. And so they've recruited at a high level. Um, they have an unbelievable culture, and they play at a high level. And that's why I want to make sure everybody in our program understands don't let the 4-4 four and four record reflect the team. You Just watch the film. They are as talented as any team we face this year across the board, and um, we have to understand that. I've never personally been to Clemson. Um, we have some coaches on our staff. We have a coach, uh, you know, um, Stucky, that played it, that played at Clemson, and uh, and and we have players that have played there that, you know, continue to remind us of of the challenging environment it will be. So. Um, any great competitors can look forward to the opportunity to go down there and play. Well, Clemson booted DJU, their quarterback, out the door. He's having success at Oregon State with a new offensive coordinator, the young stud, Cade Klubnick. His numbers are not awful. The production just isn't there. Listening to the Clemson media, it just feels like, from their perspective, this offense does not have an identity. Klubnick, 63%. Completion percentage, 13 touchdowns, five interceptions. He has been sacked 16 times through eight games. Now, his wide receiving core is okay, solid, probably not spectacular. And now the big question mark, their great running back, Will Shipley, is currently in concussion protocol. His status for Saturday's game is unknown. Shipley 515 receiving yards, 4.6 yards per carry with three touchdowns. Always a threat to catch the football out of the backfield. 20 catches for 120 and two scores. Now, Phil Maffa is a guy that statistically has been better than Shipley this year. In 39 fewer carries, he has only about 60 fewer yards. 439 yards for Phil, six yards per carry with six rushing touchdowns, and he also has 15 catches for 74. Shipley's kind of the face of the offense, but Maffa, a really, really good number two, and if he's number one, someone that Notre Dame definitely will have to be concerned about. Here's Marcus Freeman on the Clemson offense. I think it's the ability to run the ball, right? And 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 that's what you've seen them put a, a probably a bigger emphasis on the, to running, the running game of their offense. Um they have threats downfield, but I think, you know, what they're trying to do is continuously find ways to run the football with two backs, one back. You know, I don't know what exactly we'll get depending on what happens with uh, number one, you know, being able to play or not. And so it's an interesting part of their offense and what they're going to do if they have one back or two backs. And, and so I think that presents some challenges in the run fits. And what are Freeman's impressions of the quarterback, Klubnik? He's a talented player, you know, and, and um, I think I heard Coach Sweeney say it, it, there's nothing like experience. Like you have to go through some of the um, ups and downs of, of being a first-year starter um, in the ACC and college football presents. But um, he's just as talented of a quarterback as, as you'll see. Um, he's a really good player, and I, and I know they've had some turnovers. And, and what, what you realize is that not all turnovers are on our quarterback even though they take the blame for it, right? And that he is a, a really good player um, that, that can really run a, an elite offense. When you look at your defense and you watch the tape, obviously the players.
There's Marcus Freeman talking about Cade Klubnick, the starting quarterback for the Tigers. It just doesn't feel like Clemson's offense is going to have a great day with the way the Notre Dame defense is playing and honestly with the way Clemson is playing offensively. If Notre Dame gets into the 20s, it feels like that should be enough to win this football game. Clemson is used to playing in the playoffs, winning double-digit games, winning two national championships in the last seven years. Dabo Sweeney's done an amazing job of making Clemson a powerhouse, but it is surprising to see the Tigers at 4-4. Four and four. Tiger Calls, that is a show down in Clemson where you can ask the head coach a question over the phone, kind of an old-school coach's show. And Tyler from Spartanburg had enough, and he asked Dabo about making $11.5 million and he's coached this football team to a 4-4 four and four record. It is fair to say, as we play you a portion of Dabo's response, he was not thrilled about the question and the commentary of Tyler from Spartanburg. Hey, Tyler, I've listened to enough of you, Tyler. You can, you can have all your opinions that you want. All right? I don't know how old you are. don't really care. All right, but let me tell you something. Uh, we won 11 games last year, and you're part of the problem, to be honest with you, because that is part of the problem. It's people like you that do that. All you do is the, the appreciation, the expectation is greater than the appreciation, and that's the problem. And so, you know, we've won 12 10 plus win year, seasons in a row. That's happened three times in 150 years. So if you want to know why, Clemson ain't sniffed a national championship for 35 years. We've won two in seven years. And there's only two other teams that can say that, Georgia and Alabama. Okay? Is this a bad year? Is this a – yeah. And it's my responsibility. Take 100% responsibility for it. But all this bull crap you're thinking, all these narratives you read, listen, man, you can have your opinion all you want. And you can apply for the job. And good luck to you. All right? But to answer your question – all right, we're second in draft picks. We've graduated 98% of our guys. We're second in wins. All right, we, we, if you, you want to know why, again, I'm telling you, we're not perfect. There's a lot of teams that, you know, Frank Howard never had a bad year. Coach Ford never had a bad year. Nobody, Coach K has never had a bad year in basketball. People have a bad year. But the part of the problem is the appreciation. I used to tell people all the time, and say, what's the difference in Clemson? I'm going to tell you, at, Cle at some places there's an expectation, but at Clemson there's an appreciation. And what's happened at Clemson is, is we've won so much that even when we – it used to be the funds and the winning. Now even when you win, people like you complain and criticize the coaches and question everything. You, you, people like you, all right, when I hired Tony Elliott, to be the offensive coordinator who never called a play in his life. I'm sure you were critical then. All right? And he took us to two national championships. People like you who just love to, to destroy people with your comments. All right? I'm sure you've never made any bad decisions. I'm sure you've lived a perfect life. I'm sure you've never, I'm sure you've led a bunch of people. I'm sure you do your job in front. So to answer your question, I started as the lowest paid coach in this freaking business, all right? And I'm where I am 
because I've worked my ass off every single day. And I ain't going to let some smart-ass kid get on this phone and create this stuff. So if you got a problem with it, I don't care. All right? I work for, for the Board of Trustees, the President, and the AD. And if they're tired of me leading this program, all they got to do is let me know. I'll go somewhere else where there is an appreciation. All right? It's not just winning. It's how you win. And we are in a bit. This is a tough year. But we've had 12, 12, 10-plus win seasons in a row. 12. We lost to Tennessee last year. They won 11 games for the first time in like 20 years. We've had 8-11 win seasons in, in whatever, 11 years or whatever. We've won two national championships. Clemson went 35 years. All right, probably since before you were born your whole freaking life. And we've won two in seven years. And we earned it. And we beat the best of the best to do it. The best of the best. 12, 10 plus win seasons. So if you want to know why, that's why. That's a portion of the rant. It goes on and on and on. So Tyler from Spartanburg offered his opinion. Dabo had a response. Dabo was asked today, was that just kind of the moment in which everything just came to the surface? That caller got under his skin. Here's what Dabo had to say today about Tyler from Spartanburg. I think there are many people wondering, what, what triggered last night a great deal of emotion for well, you? I mean, I had some idiot uh, <laughs> go Old Testament on me, and he got an Old Testament response. <laughs> that is Dabo Sweeney, the bring-your-own-guts guy, the last time Notre Dame was down in Clemson. I'm just really curious to see the performance of Clemson. They're a 4-4 four and four team. Coming off a not-so-great performance at NC State with their star running back down, what are they going to provide Notre Dame from a challenge standpoint? Proud program, very proud program. I'd expect them to give Notre Dame their best shot. But if Notre Dame plays Notre Dame football, Clemson plays Clemson football, I think Irish fans will be happy Saturday afternoon. Twitter question of the day is next, 557 at WSBT. Looking to take your business career to the next level? Bethel University in Mishawaka, Indiana has you covered. Our MBA and MA in organizational leadership programs are tailored to working professionals, providing the flexibility to choose between online or on-campus options. You can now gain the skills and knowledge you need to become a successful leader on your own terms. Join the Bethel University community and position yourself for success. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash solid ground to request more information and apply today. This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett at 601 here on WSBT South Bend. Our Twitter slash X question of the day from Monday. The question was who gets the ultimate game ball? from Notre Dame's dominating 58-7 victory over the Pittsburgh Panthers. Here were your choices. You could go with Audric Estime, 114 rushing yards and three touchdowns. How about Chris Tyree, the 82-yard punt return for a touchdown to get the scoring started, 62 receiving yards on top of that. 
or safety Xavier Watts. Two more interceptions. He now leads the nation with six. You voted. Here are the results. Third place in the voting at 13% running back Audric Estime. Second place in the voting, 31% went with safety Xavier Watts. But winning the vote with the majority, 56%, probably mainly due to that spectacular 82-yard punt return for a touchdown, Chris Tyree. He was in jail, it looked like. Broke free and took it to the house for a touchdown. So Chris Tyree got 56% of the vote, and he gets the ultimate game ball from Notre Dame's 58-7 win over Pittsburgh. Now to today's question, which you can vote on on my Twitter account at 960sportsbeat. That's 960sportsbeat. What has surprised you more with Notre Dame this year? Two choices. Number one, the ups and downs of the offense. Number two, the excellence of the defense. Which of those two has surprised you more? The ups and downs of the offense, the excellence by the defense. We'd love to get your opinion. Go to my Twitter account at 960sportsbeat. Results on tomorrow's program. We'll take a timeout. Sports update on the way. You'll hear from Audra Customer in a couple of moments here on WSBT South Bend. Notre Dame football coverage continues now. Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Low snap, hands off inside to Estime. 10 5. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. Sportsbeat continues on WSBT Radio. I'm Darren Pritchett. Pittsburgh got a whole lot of Audric Estime on Saturday. 114 rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns for the talented junior back of the Fighting Irish. And Audric met the media after the contest. And the first question he was asked, what is the state of the Irish offense? Uh, I feel like we're, we're at where we need to be. Um, we pride ourselves to get better every week, and I feel like that's something that we've been taking steps forward to, and this week was definitely a big step forward for our offense and as a team as a whole. Take me through the pro the progress that the offensive line has made and how that's helped you guys as running backs. Yeah, um, the offensive line is led by the strong, honestly. We're led by those big boys. Um, they're the hardest workers on our team, I feel like, and every week, Monday through Friday, they're they bring the juice every week, and that's something that you that's all championship teams need is to be led by the strong. And those boys do a great job, and they get better every week. And I'm excited to see what they see what they look like when it's all said and done. Audrey, I think it was your longer touchdown where you cut back to the right. Jaden Thomas comes in and sort of takes out the safety. How important is it for what the wide receivers are able to do for you in the, in the running game? Yeah, that was a, that was an amazing block by J, uh, JT. Uh, I appreciate him. Uh, he's that's a, just a result of him working hard no matter what, not taking any job for granted. Uh, Coach Freeman prided us for everyone to do their job, for the running backs to pick up blitzes for the receivers, for the receivers to kick out safeties for the running back. And there's, that's just him being a leader for this team and just getting the job done. And I really appreciate them for that. And you were getting carries pretty late into the game. You could have easily asked out, what, what makes you determined to stay in there even when the game's a bit lopsided to keep getting the ball? Um, yeah, so um, the couple of the ones were in there. Uh, the O-line was in there. And I felt like we weren't finished. I felt like we still had some things to do. And it was just 
finishing the game with uh, the brothers that I started the started the season with, like Joe, Blake, Rocco, Zeke, all those kids. Audric, if anything, what do you think this team learned from NC State, Duke, Louisville, like your three road experiences that can help you next week going to Clemson? Yeah, I think we learned that we're a really good team. Uh, when we play our level, to our level, that we could do a really great things. We have a great defense. We have a great special teams unit. We have a great offensive unit. And when we play together as one, I feel like we're the best team in the country and no one can stop us. And, I mean, are you sort of eager to, for the program to be able to test itself in a hostile environment again, uh, considering Louisville was the last time you were away? Um, I don't know what to say. I'm eager. I'm more taking that one week at a time, one one day at a time. And um, Clemson, like you said, is a hostile environment, and that's next opponent. So that's going to be our focus in coming in on tomorrow and just ready to attack the week. Audric, how big of a lift does it give you guys when the defense is able to score? Uh, it's great, honestly, when um, someone like Xavier Watts can get an interception and bring it down to the one-yard line, and all I got to do is give a one-yard touchdown. That's, that's, all you, that's, all, that's what you want to ask for. That's, you can't ever ask for anything better than that. That's your running back, Audric Estime. His comments after the 58-7 win over the Pittsburgh Panthers. Clemson, pretty good defense. Got to respect what they can do up front. North Carolina State put up 24 on the Tigers last Saturday with their brand-new starting quarterback. The Irish will get their shot at Clemson Saturday at noon. We talked about earlier some of the teams that are going to be probably ranked ahead of the Fighting Irish in tonight's college football rankings. The Irish, of course, are wanting to get to a New Year's Six Bowl game. Looks like they need to be in the top ten to get into that New Year's Six Bowl game. That would be an absolute lock. So we'll see what the committee comes up with the first time. Now, Georgia was not number one last year when the ranking came out for the first time. And, of course, they went on to win their second consecutive national championship. Based on how the committee has always looked at who you have beaten, I'm betting Ohio State will be number one. The win at Notre Dame, the home win over Penn State, those are two wins against top ten teams at the time of the matchup. So even though I don't think Ohio State is going to be a playoff team at the end of the day, I'm betting they're number one. Florida State probably number two. They've got wins over LSU at Clemson, although that win doesn't look as good. I think Georgia's three, Washington four, and I think Michigan, despite looking the part of a playoff team, at least right now, I think they'll be five. We'll find out in just a little bit. Mike Singer talks Notre Dame football recruiting next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Budweiser's weekday sports beat continues on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBTradio.com, the WSBT radio app, and on Twitch. As Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated insider Mike Singer. Not only are we on Budweiser's weekday sports beat, we are having this conversation on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. I'm Darren Pritchett, along with Mike Singer, the Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. I will tell you, Mike, since you're outside the area, today was not a Chamber of Commerce day in South Bend as we had snow falling this afternoon. So you left town just in time. Sorry to hear that, Darren. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey. I like the cold weather, so uh, you do. I, I kind of wish it would have snowed when I was in town, though. Well, if you want to trade the winners that we're going to have in our respective places, <laughs> I'm, I'm all in. 
Sign me up. All right. Touche. Well, Touché. last weekend, the Fighting Irish destroyed the Pittsburgh Panthers 58-7. to It's funny to remember. It was 17-0 at halftime, and you're kind of disappointed. You feel like the Irish should have been up by more, but they played a phenomenal second half. And, Mike, there were a few recruits in town to watch that particular game, so I'm sure they enjoyed it from a Notre Dame standpoint. What was the significance of the Pittsburgh recruiting weekend? Yeah, there was four key 2025 targets on campus, Darren, like the, the bigger names to watch out for. Um, and uh, the first one is a guy that we've been talking about for a while, um, and it's a Phoenix Brophy Prep cornerback. Now, th- those four words I just said, is that four? Phoenix Brophy Prep? Yeah. Um, that was all – That was that, we were talking on this same show a couple years ago about this Ben Morrison kid from that same school, same position – well, now Notre Dame is going after um, his old teammate. I think when Ben was a senior, Thomas would have been a freshman. So Notre Dame looking to land this corner. Not super highly ranked right now, three-star guy, but 6'1", 170 pounds, and definitely a priority target for the Fighting Irish. He was on campus, and Darren, that Phoenix to South Bend trip, I can't say I've done it before, but I can't imagine it's the easiest trip to make. He visited for the USC game, and then two weeks later, he visits for the Pitt game. You know, my main mantra is follow the visits. I would have to say that just based on his actions alone, Notre Dame looks pretty good here. And then, you know, when you talk to him, you talk to sources, the Irish look like the team to beat. You know, um, these four players we're we're talking about here, Darren, I had an in-depth article that I posted Monday afternoon called The Gold Standard, so I would definitely recommend people check that out if you want a little bit more tidbits on each player. Um, But I'll add now, the vibes are high with all these prospects in terms of where Notre Dame stands. And of this quartet, I actually feel the best about Notre Dame's chances to land Thomas. So uh, things looking pretty good there. Uh, Another defensive back who Notre Dame badly wants is Ivan Taylor's son, of two-time Super Bowl champ with the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. Um, Ike was a really good corner. I think Ivan could play corner as well, but most schools, including Notre Dame, recruiting him as a safety four-star prospect uh, right outside the top 100 per the on-three industry ranking. I mean, I I interviewed him Saturday night after the visit, and he was like, yeah, I want to visit a couple of these schools, but, I mean, really, I want to get back to Notre Dame, and I'm hearing that he might get back to South Bend pretty soon. Um, so Notre Dame looking like the clear number one school for Ivan Taylor. This would be a big get, Darren. We saw him at Irish Invasion over the summer, and he, and he was fantastic. Uh, you got Damian Shanklin, another guy who visited for the USC game. Um, that was his first visit to campus, and Shanklin returned a couple weeks later. Now, he's from Indy Warren Central, this four-star edge in the 2025 class, uh, an impressive pass rusher, so it's not you know a crazy trip you know, uh, to do, um, you know, compared to Phoenix, but um, still a pretty good sign that Shanklin getting back to campus, you know, in just a span of a couple of weeks. I think Notre Dame looks pretty good here, um, but of this group, uh, I'm not as con- – he's probably the least confident I am to land at Notre Dame, but even with that said, I think Notre Dame's the team to beat for Damian Shanklin, 6'5", 210-pound. Again, pass rusher. And then Derek Meadows from Las Vegas. Bishop, Bishop Gorman was on campus. Big-time four-star receiver. Another guy who saw at Irish Invasion. Uh, the Notre Dame's prospect, main prospect camp that they hold every uh, June um, in the early month. He's 6'5", 185 pounds. Just a really big, large human being. Um, like, when you see him, you're like, wow. Like, this is just a very long, 
uh, tall guy. Uh, and, uh, yeah, hearing really good things about where Notre Dame stands. Kind of similar to Taylor. Notre Dame looks like the clear number one team to beat. Uh, and even, of course, Creed Thomas. Um, they're just kind of waiting to see where this recruitment trends. So, cornerback Creed Thomas, safety Ivan Taylor, uh, defensive end uh, Damian Chinkle, and then this receiver Derek Meadows. All these guys in the 2025 class all visit for the pit game. And currently, I like Notre Dame to land all four. I think they really are going to be tough to beat for Thomas. We'll see on Shanklin. His recruitment still has a lot of ways to go. And then uh, Meadows and Taylor, I believe Notre Dame is the, the number one school for, for both those players. Like you spent a good amount of time talking about defensive backs in that conversation. So since Marcus Freeman was asked about Mike Mickens during Monday's press conference, I think the media was kind of – Laying the groundwork in case there's the possibility the Irish need a new defensive coordinator, would he be a candidate? And Marcus spoke very highly about him. And I know in the past you've spoken highly about Chris O'Leary. So could you just offer a perspective of those coaches from a recruiting standpoint, what they mean to this program? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I've talked to different sources about, like, Notre Dame defensive back recruiting. And someone like Ivan Taylor, who we just talked about, he could play either position. There's been a lot of Notre Dame defensive backs. Like, is he a corner? Is he safety? Kind of a hybrid guy. So those two guys work in tandem because, you know, you could have a, a corner be a safety or, or, you know, even sometimes a safety um, down to a corner. Like someone like Christian Gray, I think, could be an outstanding safety. Um, so those guys work well together. They've been really good for this Notre Dame program. Um, I mean, Darren. Is it crazy that Notre Dame's cornerback room is deeper and more talented than its tight end room? This is Notre Dame. Darren, you know, my first couple seasons covering Notre Dame, it's like, okay, in 2019 and 2020, man, these tight ends, you know, Michael Mayer, Cole Komet, fantastic. Man, they got to improve on the edges. And Notre Dame's tight end room, even with Mitch, without Mitchell Evans, is still pretty good. But look at this tight end room. They're four deep. It's crazy. Ben Morrison, Cam Hart, Jaden Mickey, Christian Gray. It's a testament to Mike Mickens, um, you know, in, in the development. He, you know, uh, when he got to Notre Dame in 2020, um, Cam Hart was entering, what, his second or third year. Um, but still important in that development. And then he recruited Mickey, Morrison, and Gray. Got those guys to South Bay, or at least played a pretty big role in getting those those guys at South Bend. Uh, Chris O'Leary, not, you know, the in terms of, like, getting high-profile prospects with these big-time recruiting rankings, not as much. But, I mean, look at Xavier Watts this season. The safety group's pretty darn good this season, too. So um, I'm liking both of those guys. And I do agree with Marcus Freeman in that, you know, Mike Mickens, he, he's kind of on the trajectory to be a defensive coordinator now. People might be like, well, this might, maybe he's leaving after this season. I'll throw this at you. What if Al Golden goes? Could Mike Mickens be Notre Dame's defensive coordinator? Without a doubt. It gets back to fans' preference. Do you want a first-time coordinator? We've had that conversation oh, many times. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's – yeah. You would assume – from that standpoint, got the first-time head coach, first-time offense coordinator. Maybe they don't do that with defensive coordinator. Maybe it's a, co, a co-DC thing. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll just have to see. But, yeah, you bring up a good point there, Darren. And you mentioned Cooper Flanagan a moment ago in that tight end room. He could play a big role 
moving forward, I know you talked a lot about him last year on this program, his possibilities of playing yeah. this year. And I did notice, and I think Tyler Horka, your colleague, had this, that pro football focus in terms of run blocking Saturday, Joe Alt was number one. Cooper Flanagan was number two. Yeah, he's even someone, you know, we always like to talk about who's this, who's going to be the surprise freshman yeah. for Notre Dame. Now, they're playing a lot of these freshmen this year. They're all over the place. Flanagan was the one for me. I was like, guys, he might play a bigger role than you think. Um, and he kind of has behind the scenes, you know, as a blocker. Now we might see him even more down the stretch here. Okay, Mike, let's move along to C.J. Carr, the class of 2024 quarterback commit. Well documented. You saw him last year, and it wasn't his best performance. You had the chance to see him again last weekend. What did you take away from the second viewing? Okay, so the game I went and saw last year is against Bedford at home. Carr, the stat line stuck with me. Six of 25, 88 yards in a pick. They got shut out 7-0 to zero against a team that this year they blew out like 50-0 to zero or something crazy. And then in this past um, Friday against uh, Ann Arbor Pioneer, I believe it was, a team that they blew out in the regular season, Pioneer. And this is, again, I don't know if I mentioned this yet. This was a first-round playoff game Saturday, uh, this past Friday. Pioneer goes up 7-0, and then Carr's team gets the ball, Celine, and goes three and out. And I'm like – are people about to kick me out of the stand stadium? Like, am I, uh, I'm a bad luck charm. They're about to punt the balls, fourth down. You're like, man, it's pioneer. What if they get the ball and then go 14 zero cars team runs a fake punt first down games over at that point. And then I think it was 56 to seven or 56, 14 or something like that. Car stat line. Uh, you know, he, he was pretty good with 17 of 20, 200 yards and a couple touchdowns. He, um, w w was very good on the evening, uh, and, and folks watching on YouTube can watch. Uh, you guys are seeing the the clips that uh, I shot from that game. In uh, his three incompletions, two drops, and then one pass he threw away. You know he's trying to make a play outside the pocket, nothing going, so he threw the ball away. Uh, he, he he was pretty darn good. His pe his best two passes on the day were those drops. So inside the pocket, outside the pocket passes. You know. Uh, you know, short to the outside, deep balls. It was a routine, very strong performance from CJ Carr. Um, you know, you, this is this is what you come to expect with CJ Carr. Very solid, strong performance. You know, he's one of the best passers in the country um, for a reason. He he's just uh, he's he's methodical, Darren. Um, he, he can just pick you apart. He's a solid player, Darren. You know, he, in my opinion, he's like a top 50 player in the country. Um, you know, he's going to be a really good one to come to Notre Dame this winter. Um, and, and, you know, kind of, I think he's got a really high floor with a pretty high ceiling as well. Um, we'll see. You know, when he gets to Notre Dame, if, if the Irish do bring in a transfer, you know, he can sit and learn as a freshman, um, kind of get used to, you know, the, the transition from high school to college ball and, and will be right there competing for the starting job as a sophomore. Uh, definitely high expectations for C.J. Carr at Notre Dame. I love how he went through his progression several times in this video that you're showing, and the accuracy has really stood out. Just in terms of the, that team, what they need from him, do they have him run a whole lot? 
Not a ton, not a ton, but he does. He'll, he'll run a few times yep. a game. And, and, and again, like I said, he, he's good outside the pocket as well, just extending plays with his legs. I mean, he's, he's like the modern-day quarterback, the size, the accuracy, the, the vision, the mobility, uh, everything. Like, he's a pocket passer who is mobile. That's what you want. Um, like, he, he checks every box. Like, the, and the, even the intangibles – Right, he he checks all of those as well. The leadership, um, you know, just like having that dog in you at the quarterback position, the confidence, all that stuff. He he's got it there. And lead recruiter. And a lead recruiter. You know, he hasn't been to campus as much this fall, maybe as last year. I know they have film on Saturday morning, so it's tough. Like he wants to go out, you know, a, a state champ. That's the goal. They do have a pretty tough test. This Friday, the team that knocked them out last year was Belleville, um, and it was a, a, a thrilling game, high-scoring one. That's who they have again this Friday. So you got C.J. Carr versus the number one overall player in the 2025 class. That's Bryce Underwood, the quarterback from Belleville. So it's going to be quite the uh, battle of quarterbacks there, Carr versus Underwood. Mike Singer is my guest, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, or on WSBT Radio and the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. So the 24 class, in terms of team rankings, Mike, where do the Irish stand right now, and where might they end up? Yeah. So last week, Darren, I, I was checking out the team rankings, and I was like, Notre Dame's at seven. I was like, huh, they had not landed a commitment in the, in the 24 cycle since Gerby Lambert. Was that in late August or, or, or maybe early September? I can't remember. But I was thinking to myself, they when Gerby committed, Notre Dame shot up from 13 in the country to number eight per the on three industry team rankings. And I was like, man, they've even moved up since then, you know, due to Cam Williams getting a bump up to five star status. You know, just Notre Dame commits rising in the rankings. I guess I shouldn't have said anything. I wrote an article on it. Hey guys, like number Notre Dame's number seven. Then they dropped to eight, uh, <laughs> and now they're at number ten. And, and the thing is the how on three does their recruiting rankings for the team. It's, it's an average score of your, um, your recruits. So, um, you know, to scale up to what is it a hundred or something like hundred being the, the, the perfect recruit you never see, but like a 97, you know, it's like a five-star, you know, whatever it is. Notre Dame's average is 91.619. I mean, they are so close to being number seven, which is Texas A&M number one. Uh, at 91.811 but then you look behind I mean then there's Michigan at 14 at 91.047 so it's like it's so close between like 6 and 14 you're, you're pulling teeth but Notre Dame sitting right there at number 10 with its 23 commits one of them being the five-star receiver Kane Williams from Chicago 14 four-star prospects and then eight three-star prospects so as I've said before if Notre Dame holds this number 10 spot, that'll be three straight years of top 10 finishes for Notre Dame, something that Brian Kelly hasn't done, and it's been since uh, 2006 to 2008, if my memory serves me correctly, that Notre Dame has done so. Um, so and, and that would be Freeman's first three years on the job as, as Notre Dame head coach that they have done so. Pretty good recruiting for the Fighting Irish. I mean, we, when, you, when you think back at, like, you know, some of those Notre Dame teams that made a college football playoff previously, they weren't really – like, think about the 2018 team that made the, um, you know, the, the net, or made the college football playoff. 
those recruiting rankings, and it's not the be-all end-all, but you look at those, they don't, on paper, classes don't stack up to what they are now. So Notre Dame, I, it's, you know, closing the gap a little bit maybe? Because they're recruiting at a higher play, a higher level than they were before, especially at the quarterback position. Look at, you know, Minchie to Carr to, to Deuce Knight. Yeah. Recruiting's going pretty darn well for the Fighting Irish, Darren. Um, just need to hit on one of these quarterbacks to help, you know, pull pull along, you know, uh, the the other spots that you're hoping to upgrade as well. Yeah, like I said, Darren, recruiting's it's going pretty well for the Irish. Nice standard being set, being in the top ten. Marcus is doing that, yeah. definitely. All right, so folks can always go to Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com, to get the latest on Notre Dame football recruiting. And, of course, Mike, we're getting to that time of the year where we're having crossover sports coverage on top of recruiting and football. I mean, we got a lot of things going on right now. Yeah, we got everything. It, it feels like in recruiting, like right this week and maybe even last week, it's like the calm before the storm, next week with the bye week, the coaches be on the road, and then you get to the end of the season – home visits, right? So you have Notre Dame finishing the season at Stanford. You know, like we saw with Brian Kelly after the road Stanford game, he would stay out on the West Coast and, and you do the home visits. Met with Tobias Merriweather's family and, you know, the, you had the burnt ends and then, he, you know, he, he left positions. Always like to throw, uh, you know, that, that, that quick story out there. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so you would assume Freeman does some of that as well and then you get into National Signing Day in mid-December. And then what I call silly season, um, you know, uh, coaches leaving and what that means for recruiting. It, it's crazy down the stretch in December and even into February with the traditional signing day. Uh, so definitely blueandgold.com is the place you want to be. And Darren, if, if I can throw out a quick little story sure. from my experience in the press box. So I'm in the front row of the press box. Um, the, the people that were assigned to sit near me didn't show up. So down, if I look over to my right, there's, there's a group of a, a couple guys, but there was just always people hanging around this one guy who has the loudest laugh in the room, the greatest voice that you can, you know, listen to. And it's Darren Pritchett. Darren Pritchett is the life of the party. No. I hope people are listening to this and you didn't cut this out, Darren. It was the life the of the party. I'm just like, I want to go hang out with that Pritchett guy. I already gave him a big hug and was talking to him, but I'm looking over. And people just want to talk to Darren Pritchett. He, the guy's a hoot. Um, You're Darren, close. I, I love being on your show, and um, I always, uh, you know, appreciate doing this. Accuracy is very important in everything that we do. So let me make it clear: I sit next to a local TV star and Chuck Freebie. I'm just reaping the ward sitting next to him. People are talking to him, and they just happen to talk to me. So. I appreciate the efforts, but there's a little more to the story. I would, I would disagree, Darren. Huh? I would disagree. Chuck is great, but I mean, come on. We're talking about Darren Pritchett here. Hey, I mean, we got a DJ at Notre Dame Stadium now. We got to keep the party going. <laughs> That's all there is to it. Mike, good to be with you, and good to see you at Notre Dame Stadium last Saturday. And we will talk to you again next week. Yeah, I'll be at Clemson Saturday, so I'm looking forward to back-to-back -back Notre Dame games, and nice. I'll let you know how that one goes, my friend. All right, Mike, enjoy the game. All right, thank you, sir. Have a good one.
That's Mike Singer, Notre Dame football recruiting insider at Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. My name is Darren Pritchett. We have more Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat coming up next on Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Hey everyone, Saltgrass Steakhouse is now open in Mishawaka. Wrangle up the crew and head down to Saltgrass Mishawaka for an unforgettable experience. Sink your teeth into mouth-watering char-grilled, certified Angus beef steaks. Sip on ice-cold craft cocktails. And don't forget to try the famous Spicy Range Rattlers, all made daily in the Scratch Kitchen. Start making delicious memories at Saltgrass Mishawaka, 5126 North Main Street, across from Lazy Boy Furniture Galleries. Dine with us today. 